Let's turn our attention now to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. It's a short psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 5. Then we'll spend just a few moments looking at it together. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we have just sung that our worth is not in what we own. It's not to be found in our success, in our achievement, in our reputation. Our worth is fixed at the cross. It is only in you, Lord, that we are able to understand ourselves in light of your great love for us and the way in which it should order our lives. So, Lord, I pray that as we come to this section of your word, you would be in our midst and you would show us something of your love and something of how our life should be ordered around it. I ask in the perfect name of Jesus. Amen. Grace-filled worship, that is our title for the morning. Isn't it easy when you come to church to just kind of get stuck in routine, to sort of go through the motions, kind of to go on autopilot? Imagine for a second that I asked everybody to stand up and swap seats, okay? Um, Presbyterians would have a really hard time with that, okay? Uh, Presbyterians, here I sit, I can do no other, right? Um, it's kind of just the, it's kind of, kind of the way we are. And sometimes we need a jolt to kind of get us out of normal routine and out, get us out of autopilot. And you know, that's really what the Reformation was. As we think about it being 500 years since, since the Reformation, we recognize that the 16th century church had become very confused in its theology, it had become corrupt in its leadership, and what it needed was a jolt, and that jolt came to the person of Martin Luther who said, I have an idea, let's go back to God's word and see what he has to say. Let's go back to God's word and and see what his word says to us. And when he went back to God's word, he found something surprising. He found that grace changes everything. We are people we thought about last week who are saved by grace. It is only by the grace of the gospel that we can be right with God. The idea in generic evangelicalism still is that our standing before God is something that is dependent upon our goodness, and we say no, it's dependent upon his goodness to us. We're saved by grace, and that grace that brings salvation is so full, so complete, that it changes our lives today as well. We're not just waiting until we all go to heaven. Having been saved by grace, this grace now has saved us for good works. Good works that the Lord has prepared in advance for us to do so you and I can get up every morning and think, what does the Lord have planned for me today? Some of it you know, some of it you don't know. But as you seek to walk in his grace towards you, you find yourself living the full life that he's planned in Christ. 
What amazing thing to discover that we are saved by grace. And over the next few weeks as a church, we're taking time to think about, okay, how does this grace, how does this gospel shape the kind of church that we now want to be? And this morning, we're asking that question about worship, particularly about corporate worship. What, why are you here this morning? What are you here to do this morning? That's what, what we're going to talk about. Uh, why, how, how does the gospel shape the kind of worshiping community that we want to be? I'm going to do two things. We're going to look at Psalm 100 to see what worship is. And then we're going to talk about how we apply that here at MPC. So, grace-filled worship. What is it? How do we do it? You ready? What is it? Point one. What is grace-filled worship? Well, Erasmus said that any definition is dangerous. That is true. The second you say something, you've neglected to say something else. But we're going to dive in with the definition anyway to get us started. Here's our definition of worship here at MPC. Why are you here? What are we here to do? We say worship happens to worship is to celebrate God's greatness by enjoying who he is and what he's done for us. Write that down. Worship happens when we celebrate God's greatness by enjoying who he is and what he's done for us. And we didn't just make that definition up. It really comes out of Psalm 100. Let's look at its parts. First, worship happens when we celebrate God's greatness. Look at the language that's used in verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 100. A psalm that is for worship, a psalm that is for praise. Starts in verse 1 saying, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Joyful, gladness, singing, thanksgiving, praise, giving thanks, blessing. All of these things in this psalm are, are commands. Things that we are, we are told to do. Sometimes the Lord's commands are not burdensome. What he's saying is, come into my presence and be glad. Come into my presence and be joyful. Come into my presence and give thanks. Come into my presence and celebrate. What are we here to do? We're here to celebrate. Well, what are we celebrating? Two things. First of all, we're celebrating who God is. And secondly, what he's done for us. Look where we get these out of the text. Verse, verse 3, there they both are. First of all, we're told to know that the Lord, he is God. We start by celebrating who he is. Know that the Lord, he is God. Isn't that interesting? Uh, he doesn't say, know that the Lord, he is beautiful. Know that the Lord, he is majestic. Know that the Lord, he is powerful or holy or wise or just or kind or gracious or merciful. or Like all kinds of things he could have said to describe God. Instead he says, know that the Lord, he is, well, he's God. See, what happens when you describe God is eventually you run out of words. <laughs> You run out of words. You get to the point where there is no superlative. And so all you can say is, well, he's God. He's God. And there's no greater word. There's no greater being. There's no greater concept. There's no greater reality than that our Lord would be God. So we are starting our celebration solely on the basis of who he is. Do you understand how powerful that is? The God, our, our, our God, is, he's intrinsically worthy of praise just because of who he is. If God had never done anything for us, 
he would be eternally worthy of our worship. Some things are like that, right? Some things are, are an end in themselves. You don't, sit, you don't sit around and have angst over, why do you enjoy ice cream? Why? Why? Well, that's a stupid question, right? Um, you don't sit at a sunset and think, why am I enjoying this sunset, right? Uh, you don't ask a, you know, a, a proud mama who's just had a baby, why are you so pleased with this child, right? <laughs> these things are just, well, they're intrinsically delightful. <laughs> and in a much, 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 much greater way than ice cream or sunsets are new children. Our God is intrinsically delightful. We come into his presence and we start to worship simply because of who he is. But there's more. Isn't there more? If we're going to worship him for who he is, how much more are we going to worship him on the basis of all that he's done for us? What has he done for us? Verse 3 answers, he's done two things. First, know that Lord he is God. One, it is he who made us. He's the one who made us. What has God done for us? He has made us. We come and worship him as the creator God. We recognize that there would not even be us were it not for God. There would be no opportunity to worship had he not made us. We recognize, everyone, everyone hold your breath, hold your breath. Hold it, hold. We recognize that our ability to exhale is dependent upon him. Exhale, exhale. No, no, no one pass out. I don't need that this morning, okay? Um, we've been made, shaped, fashioned by God. There is no us if it is not for him. So we celebrate the maker. Not just has he been our creator, though, look. It is he who made us, I love these words, verse 3, and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Old Testament promise isn't just that he's our God, but it's that we'll be his people. See, he's not just the creator, he's also the redeemer. He is the God who goes hard after and pursues broken, messed up, rebellious people like me and you. He is the God who isn't content for us to wander far from him, isn't content just to rule over as a creator from on high, but who draws near to us in order to make sure that he's not just our God, but we're also his people. We are his children. We are his beloved ones. Of course, this Old Testament promise finds fulfillment where? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, where God literally draws near, literally incarnates and walks amongst us to live the life and die the death and rise again and ascend to heaven so that he rules and reigns as one who has brought forgiveness and healing to his children. And so this morning, we gather for worship not just as a people who've been made, created, but as a people who've been made new, redeemed. We gather for worship knowing that had he not been our redeemer, a lost eternity would await us all. Uh, one of our elders' wives once said to me that she can still smell the singe of hell on her clothes. Right? And I thought that was a very powerful, I mean, it's a powerful phrase, isn't it? Powerful language, powerful words. But what she's getting at there is the idea that she really knows that if it's not for Jesus, she was going to hell, right? And do you know what? Because of Jesus, she's not going to hell. Because of Jesus, I'm not going to hell. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, and you can believe in Jesus Christ right now, this, this morning, and have 
ask him to forgive your sins, then you're not going to hell either. And do you know what? Not going to hell, that is a reason to celebrate, okay? Understatement of the century, okay? We gather to celebrate God's greatness by enjoying who he is and by enjoying what he's done for us. So, Presbyterians, listen up. You know, uh, we're sometimes called like the frozen chosen, yeah? May it never be, right? Frozen chosen. The people, you know, like you come to our church and we ask you to silence your cell phone and all movements of the Holy Spirit as you walk in. (laughs) Um, We don't have motion-activated lights because they'd all go off during service, you know? Um, May may it never be, right? Uh, Theology doesn't make you passionless about worship. In fact, doctrine drives you to doxology. Grace and truth, the scriptures, lead to worship. Lead to celebration. Celebration of what? Who God is and what he's done for us. That's what worship is. Okay, well, let me think about it. Okay, how, how do we um, unpack that? How do we apply that here at MPC? And what I want to do in the few moments I have left is really, um, this is good kind of meat and potatoes stuff for, for us as a church family to pull back the curtain a little bit and show you what's going on in the mind of your leadership as we prepare for this time that, that you give your time to every single week. It's, it's important for us to know how we're approaching worship here as a church. Well, in light of what worship is, I want to touch briefly on our worship philosophy and then second, our worship priorities, our philosophy and our priorities. Now, quick caveat here, there's more to say than I can possibly say right now. So get online this afternoon and uh, go onto our website and search for worship philosophy. We have a full document that will answer many more of the questions than I'm able to cover right now. But let's go. First, worship philosophy. As we think about how to take this idea of worship, celebrating God's greatness, enjoying who he is, what he's done for us, we approach this task with three words, okay? Three words. Number one, first word is content, Content. Our first concern as a worshiping family should be about the content of the things that we're going to read and pray and sing and preach and reflect on together. Why? Because the last thing you need is just more opinions of men or women. The last thing you need is another blog. The last thing you need is another tweet. Your soul does not need more of the world's produce. What our souls need It's God's word. This is what sparked the Reformation in the first place. Hey, novel idea. Let's go back and see what God has to say. And so in our worship services, we fill it as much as possible with with the scriptures, with the Bible. You'll see that in our call to worship. You'll see that in our confessions and in our assurances. You see that as we read the scripture, you see as we preach about the scriptures, what we're trying to do is think God's thoughts after him. Think God's thoughts after him. Specifically, our content is is biblical, but also Christ-centered. Christ-centered. The overall arc of our worship service should lead us to Jesus every single time. Why? Because you can only have a relationship with God if you come to him through Christ. You understand that he is the mediator. You know, ooh, you know music is not the mediator. You don't worship through music. You worship through the blood of Jesus. Music can facilitate that, but it's not what takes you to God. What takes you to God is Jesus Christ. If it, aren't, if it weren't for Jesus Christ, uh, we wouldn't even speak God's name upon our lips. In Jesus Christ, we come to him 
as beloved children. So, first word as we think about our worship service is content. Content drives the train. Second word as we think about worship is the word form. Form. What do I mean by form? Well, by form, I mean, I mean liturgy. If you want to pull out your worship guide, um, you know, we have a pretty set order of worship that we work through most weeks. And you say, well, if you don't want us to be on autopilot, how can we do the same thing every week? Yeah? Well, Here's why we do the, the follow the same order every week. We have a, a form or a liturgy that is itself designed to rehearse the gospel story. When you come into worship, you're coming into a drama. You're coming into a play where together we are rehearsing the gospel story. So it begins, page one, with a welcome and invocation. What we're saying is, huh, uh, God, if you're, the prayer of invocation is asking God to be with us. God, if you're not with us in this time, we're all wasting our time. And you know what? If God isn't with us, there are better things to do this morning. There really is. Let's go, you know, if this all isn't true, let's go get brunch and play golf. Okay? Um, but if God is with us, well, that changes everything. From there we go to the call to worship, recognizing that this time that we're doing is something that God has called us to, that he has planned for his people to be about. And then, page two, we move into songs of praise. Now, follow the logic here. See how these two points connect. Why do we move straight into songs of praise? Why? We haven't done confession yet. We haven't done assurance yet. Why? Because we're recognizing that before God has done anything for us, he's still deserving of praise. And so we start our worship service just by praising him. For all that he is. From there, we get into what he's done for us. Page three, confession of sin, assurance of pardon, giving of the peace. When you come into God's presence, you see his perfection. You quickly see how imperfect you are. And that leads us to confess our sins. But the very second you confess your sin, it's the very second you can be assured of your pardon. And note that uh, the assurance of pardon is always a verse of scripture. It's always a section of God's word. Why? Because you don't need me to assure you that he has forgiven you. You need him to assure you that he has forgiven you. Uh, we need assurance from the one that we've offended. So I see Rob and uh, one of our elders, Steve Brown, sitting on the front row here. If I go down right now and just slap Rob, okay? He's like 6'4"? <laughs> It'd be a bad plan. But if I did, you know, I'll go down there slap him, right? And then turn to Steve and say, oh, will you forgive me? Right? Um, that, that would be strange. That would be bizarre. Why? Well, I need Rob's forgiveness. I don't need Steve's forgiveness. And that's why the assurance of pardon is always God's word. Because you don't need, you don't need my forgiveness. <laughs> I don't need my forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness. And so he's the one who assures us of pardon. From there, it's the giving of the peace. We're saying, oh yeah, this gospel is true. This gospel has changed reality. We now have peace with God and with one another because of grace. Then we do our congregational prayer. And I love this. I love this progression. Follow the logic, right? Um, if God has forgiven us and all is well, and he is our father, we can bring our needs to him. We can bring our concerns to him. We can bring our worries to him and he can, uh, we can trust him to, to take care of them. Trust him to take care of our lives. After that comes the offertory. Now, isn't that important? Just think about this for a second. Isn't, don't you think it's important that we collect money after the prayer, not before the assurance of pardon? <laughs> See, placement matters, people, right? <laughs> you know? I stand here. We'll pass the plate one more time before we assure you of your pardon, right? <laughs> oh, heaven help us. The gospel says, see, we've just prayed, God, because of the gospel, we can trust you with our needs. 
And so now we're going to give because we are looking to you to provide for us, not to ourselves. That's important. We're looking to you to be our security, not, not ourselves. So yeah, we're going to give. Then we move into the scripture and the sermon, which, well, you see how that first half is rehearsed the gospel story? Then we move into the scripture and the sermon, which again, just gives us another rehearsal of the gospel story. story. Uh, this week, we'll do the Lord's Supper, which is the gospel visible, right? Um, words uh, that, are, that are seen before us. Uh, then we do turn over to me, with me to verse 7. I need to speed up here. Uh, song of sending and benediction. This is important, right? Um, the song of sending is, very, is important because what we're saying is, okay, church, it's been great. This has been awesome. I've loved it. Being the church gathered, but now it's time to go and be the church scattered. Because, you know, Jesus didn't call us to just huddle in here. Uh, he called us to be salt and light in the world. And if you don't leave, if you stay here all the time, you ain't going to be that. So get out of here, right? It's been beautiful, go home, right? But, hold, don't go without the benediction. Don't go without the promise that wherever you go, he goes with you. So, form. You see our worship service? There is some method to the madness, right? Um, What we're trying to do with the form of our worship service is, is walk ourselves through the gospel story. Three words about philosophy, content, form, last word, style. Style. Style, you know these three words, that's a hierarchy too, okay? Content's the most important, form comes after that. Style is at the bottom. Worship style is the least important and most divisive uh, of all things. Uh, Many a church has been rent asunder in the worship wars, and uh, isn't it like broken sinners to use the praise of God as cause for division? You know, division, Satan's calling card. Wherever you see Satan, you see division. And so as a church, we've tried to embrace this and tackle this and and talk about these things quite candidly to help foster that kind of uh, gospel unity amongst us. What's our approach to style? We call it blended. Blended. What does that mean? It means we blend the songs that we sing, old and new, and we blend the instruments that we use, old and new. So we'll sing songs that are a couple thousand years old and songs that are a couple of months old, and we'll use an organ and a drum kit, and we'll use a bass guitar and strings, and we'll throw it all together into what should be one cohesive, worshipful experience. Right? That's what blended worship is. Now, two things I want to say really quickly about blended worship. First of all, number one, understand me and hear me well. Our approach is intentionally designed to make sure that nobody is happy. That's my goal. Um, If you're like a traditional person, then you won't like some of our service. And if you're a super contemporary person, then you won't like some of our service. But it's just like the weather in Scotland. Wait five minutes, it'll change. Okay? Um, It's intentionally designed to make sure no one's happy because we have a greater goal, and that's, that's unity. Right? And unity doesn't require uniformity. Uh, We are honoring one another above ourselves when we worship in this way. Secondly, just, it's really important to remember, this is how God can be worshipped, okay? And this is what we blend, right? Uh, We blend a very small proportion of the ways in which God can be worshipped, right? So, uh, you go to Cambodia, and they don't worship like us. One of the most awkward experiences of my life is Cambodian prayer meeting, right? Where you go, and you all pray out loud at the same time, Okay? Now, for this white Scottish Presbyterian, that was just really awkward, okay? I suddenly became really aware of, like, my limbs and my tongue, and just, like, this just felt awkward, right? But that, 
There's nothing wrong with that. It's good. Right? Uh, you go to Kenya, they don't worship like us. When I was in the Kibera Presbyterian Church, here was their worship team. One drummer, four singers. That's it. And they blew the roof off that place. You go to Romania, they don't worship like us. Uh, showed up in a church there, and the dude had an accordion, and it was awesome, right? Um, go to Cuba, they will dance. They got rhythm. They can move, right? Um, multiply this out, and what you, what you see what I'm saying is, this is how God can be worshipped. This is what we blend. Don't take our blend too seriously. Heaven isn't necessarily going to look like MPC on a Sunday morning. Which doesn't mean that what we're doing is wrong, right? Any more than what the Cambodians or the Romanians or the Cubans or the Kenyans are doing is wrong, it just means let's not take ourselves too seriously. Content, farm, style. Let me rattle through a few of these priorities, um, and I'll do them just list, list style. Um, those priorities, uh, sorry, those, that, that philosophy helps us shape the kind of worship services that in, our, in our planning phase. And then as we come into worship, as we actually enter this time, there are really kind of five things that we're aiming for, right? Uh, number one, Participation participation. Worship is not a show. Worship is not a consumer experience. Worship is an opportunity where we want everyone in this room to experience God. Our goal in this time is not to entertain, but to get people to engage themselves with God. What I want for you this morning is for you to meet with God, for you to participate. And so we want people to participate in the words that are said. That's why we do responsive readings. In the words that are sung, that's why we sing together. To be engaged as we look at the word, to to listen up in the sermon, to to, to really seek God through these things. Participation. Second word, conviction. Conviction. Um, We want to engage head and heart in this worship experience, right? So if we're talking about things that are joyful, I want you to feel joyful. And if we're talking about things that are sorrowful, I want you to feel sorrowful. So as we work through this service, I want to move through with conviction. When we sing these great songs of praise at the start, I want your heart to feel different than when we confess our sin in a second. Does that that make sense? A whole person engagement with worship. We're not here just to kind of give God something that we think he wants. We're here to, to bring all that we are into his presence and to worship accordingly. So wherever your heart is this morning, that's great. Bring it and engage it. Conviction. Third, um... Freedom. Second Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So division is Satan's calling card, and freedom is the spirit's calling card. And so you should worship however your soul wants to worship. If you want to smile, if you want to laugh, if you want to cry, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to sit in the same seat every week, whatever you want to do, right? Um, that's how you should worship, in the freedom that the spirit brings. After freedom comes family. Participation, conviction, freedom, family. Family, uh, building a little bit off the comments I made about style. We understand, don't we understand, that, that we're one big group and we don't all have the same preferences. We don't all have the same, um, you know, uh, favorite songs and all that kind of thing. And much more than that, the community that we're trying to reach has an even more diverse uh, group of preferences and desires. And so as we work through this, we work through it as a family. Old and young together, we celebrate that we can honor one another above ourselves, even as we worship together. Last word, and I'm out of time, is relationship. Participation, conviction, freedom, family, relationship. Relationship with God. That's what we want from this time. We want 
to, to be a worshiping community that doesn't miss why we're here. Uh, why, why, why are we here? And the, the answer is there's one reason, and, that, and his name is Jesus. So you know what? See if Jesus right now returns. Right now, in the middle of this sermon, I should preach this sermon no differently. And see if Jesus returns as we're singing our song of sending. You should sing that song no differently. Why? Because Jesus is already here. Jesus is already in our midst. And the goal of our time is to deepen our relationship with him. To walk with him. To order our lives around him. And that's what we're aiming for. You understand, friends, see all that... All that we're doing as a church and all the awesome things that are happening as we grow in our multi-site and as we start things like Project Belong, like all of these things are completely meaningless. We could be successful yet completely unsuccessful if we do them all and miss Jesus. And so that's our heart. Our heart for this time is for you to encounter Christ even as we worship. Okay, two takeaways. One, come to worship. Come to worship. It's shockingly easy in our area to find yourself actually only coming to worship. Uh, you, you know, kids have sports, you have trips, work comes up, and, and, and you, you mean to come all the time, but end up not coming all the time. Your soul needs to come. I can't tell you how much of a, a fuel worship has been to my soul. And I tell you all the time that God made me a pastor so I'd be in church every Sunday, and it's true. And then he made me a pastor at this church so I'd be in three worship services every Sunday, okay? Like, my soul needs this. My soul needs this, and your soul needs it too. So come, come. And secondly, invite your friends. You were made for this, and they were made for this. Their, your soul needs it, and their souls need it too, even if they don't realize it yet. So come to worship. Invite your friends. Together, let's celebrate God's greatness by enjoying who he is and what he's done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to worship together, to be a community that can celebrate. And we have much to celebrate in all that you are and in all that you've done for us in Christ. So, Father, um, help us as we work through the content and the form of the style that we do to really be a church family that's shaped by the gospel that participates with conviction and freedom as part of this family to deepen our relationship with you. We pray these things in the perfect and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.